Welcome to the Jesus Magnet Podcast. Today we've got a testimony and we're joined here with Joel and George. Uh, that's Kiwi Joel for those people that are thinking it's the American Joel. Lord Joel. Yeah, Lord Joel. Uh, we just, yeah, welcome to the podcast. We just pray that you receive and hear the words from Jesus through this testimony. And uh, yeah, let's get into it. Well, thank you, Todd. It's uh, it's great to be here to be able to share what God's done personally in my life. Um, and I pray and hope that this encourages all of our listeners um, to see that, you know, you can you can go through hell and back and end up in heaven. Yeah. <laughs> and um, God is incredible. He is in there from, you know, your best days, but definitely right when you hit rock bottom. So I'll just get straight into it. Yep, go for it. So I am a Kiwi from New Zealand, um, and I have five people in my family. I've got, I'm the youngest of three uh, siblings. I've got two older brothers, and um, I do have a half-sister, um, and we include her in our family. Um, you know, no no discrimination there, family's family. And um, I've got, you know, a mum and a dad. And my story really starts... Um, when in in two thousand and one, on Boxing Day, uh, straight after Christmas, um, my family and I we travel up to uh, a campground um, at a beautiful lake called Lake Aviemore, and it's about two and a half hours drive. And on Boxing Day in two thousand and one, um, so I at the time I was uh, seven years old. And my we I can't remember which town we we're in, but um I remember this so clearly. Um this man runs up so we take two separate cars camping and my I'm with my mum, Julie, and my brother Marcus in one car and then in the other car, which was a this big white van, was my dad and my oldest brother Jozak. And um my dad, Mark, um, and Jozak had had a car accident on the way um, camping. And I remember being, I think we were just outside a fuel station or something, and this uh, man runs up, to my, uh, runs up to me and says, Are you, uh, is your dad Mark Hillary? And I said, yes. Uh, and he said, where's your, where's your mum? So I pointed him in the direction of, where mum was and and he walks up to her and um I heard over over a bit of a distance saying um your husband has been in a car accident um if you just follow me um he's only up ahead about 20 minutes or so and uh we got in the car and mum explained to us kind of what had happened and it all went over my head um at being only seven years old and mum assured me that dad would be fine. And um, when we arrived on the scene, I witnessed uh, my dad being put into a stretcher, absolutely covered in blood. And um, he said he said to me, uh, hey, Jolby. <laughs> and... Um, then I ran back to the vehicle that my mum had drove us in, and um, my oldest brother Marcus was in the in the car. I don't 
I can't quite remember exactly how long this took, but he had locked the doors, and I remember pulling on the door handles, and and Marcus wouldn't unlock the car. And I think when I look back now, I I think he was in shock, obviously, with what he'd seen. And my oldest brother, Jozak, who was in the car with my dad, was absolutely fine. He had just had a small cut on his leg, and he was fine. Um, my dad's injuries, however, were uh, his, his arm was de-sleeved. He, um, I'm not sure if he broke both of his legs. Uh, he broke his back and his neck, many ribs, and he... Uh, severely brain damaged and he's lost his eye one of his eyes and um he yeah not in good shape so when and I was pulling on this door to try and get my brother to open it because I just wanted to get into the car and um getting very frustrated and this uh man swung me around and uh got down on right on his knee and grabbed my shoulders to get me to stop moving, and he said, son, your father's going to be just fine. And uh, this guy was a doctor, and he had, a, you know, the doctor's coat on and everything like that. The ambulance team had made it there. And um, I straight away had peace in my heart that my dad was going to be okay. It was, like, it was like it was just taken from me, all that anxiety, all the, like, wanting to cry and... And I just knew that it was going to be okay. And um, so that summer I ended up having one of the best summers I can remember being seven years old. I believe I caught a five-pound of fish. <laughs> <laughs> nice. And, um, you know, we are just going back and forth from the hospital, seeing my dad in hospital. And um, he was told that he would never work again and um, that if anything he would uh, – remain a vegetable and unable to kind of do much. And um, we prayed against that and the whole church prayed against that and uh, prayed for healing and my dad has pretty much retained all of his uh, function. He the, the only thing that sort of seems different or off about him now is he uh, has one eye and that's um, something that's noticeable and he needs to... Uh, sleep in the middle of the day most days uh, for maybe 10 minutes to an hour and a half sort of it varies depending on uh, how he's doing but he has returned to work and he's done incredibly well financially um, defying all the odds and that's a testimony in itself that we'll we'll get Mark on to share his side of that Um, but when I was a bit older um, I was probably 14 at this time, maybe 13. And um, I remember my mum sharing the story of my dad's accident and um, said that because uh, we had called up a family doctor to ask, you know, what can be done at the time of the accident. And he essentially said, after looking at what had happened, he said, he's not going to live. And... um then I said, "But mum, the there was a, there was a doctor at the at the accident, and he he told me that dad was going to be okay." And mum said, "Joel, there were no doctors at the accident," and I came to the realization that I had seen 
a doctor and a white coat, quite tall, <laughs> although I was quite small, being only seven, and he uh, had assured me in the way by saying, son, your father's going to be just fine. And I remember that so clearly, and the realisation hit me <laughs> so many years later that that was an angel or Jesus Christ himself. I have no idea. But literally taking my anxiety, taking my, uh, you know, giving me hope and faith, and that faith-like, uh, that childlike faith, and having no doubt that God was gonna, uh, God was gonna heal my dad, and He did, and that was really cool, and that kind of cemented my faith in knowing that I had seen somebody. Uh, and when I look back on it now, it's a bit ridiculous thinking this guy's in a white coat. <laughs> Com- coming to talk to you while your dad's actually in the ambulance. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Not, not even like looking after my dad, <laughs> but assuring a seven-year-old kid that it, your dad's going to be okay. Yeah, and I'm like, okay, <laughs> that was definitely an angel or a messenger from the Lord or Jesus Christ Himself. So that really cemented like, um, God loves me. Yep. you know, and He's there for for you even in the darkest day. And um, then uh, when I was about 14, uh, it was around that age that I had clicked that I'd seen an angel, and I'd gone to church my whole life, and I had never really gone to the front and done the altar call. Um, And I was at a youth group, and the pastor said at the very end, you know, if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior and would love to get to know him, then put your hand up and let's... And pray, and I remember putting my hand up and going to the front, and everything disappearing, and God hit me like a truck, and that love that hit me was so strong and intoxicating that I dropped to my knees at 14 years old, and everything around me, it it was like nothing mattered but God, and feeling that love, it was like like a thick blanket almost that went went over top of me and um, probably a good way to explain it is like being um, I I actually felt my sin leave my body and it's like um, if you've ever carried um, like blankets or something before and they go over over top of you and you know one blanket's not very heavy but then you get two and you're okay and then three and it's starting to become a bit of a slog and the weight's starting to fit you're starting to feel the weight and then when you start to get to like 20 blankets (laughs) on you you start starting to struggle to move and you can really feel that weight and it was like all of those blankets just were just lifted and I felt so light and loved and the only thing that mattered was God and that, that I was a son of God. And I actually felt the accept, acceptance right there and then. Um, and that definitely radically changed my heart. However, my mind was definitely still needing a lot of training. And um, as life went on, I you know c- carried on with school and um, I sort of got into this weird phase of wanting to be uh, wanting to be a bit of a risk taker 
Um, and I ended up uh, being with this these couple of friends of mine, and between us all, we had decided to um, make money by breaking into houses and stealing equipment, uh, cameras, laptops, things like that. And um, ended up just going down this rabbit hole of breaking into all these houses around my hometown and um, obviously ended up getting getting caught after a little while. And um, I was 16 at that point. And I was about two months away from turning, two or three months away from turning 17. And it's, if I had been 17, then I would have been charged as an adult, not a minor. And I'd probably maybe still be in prison uh, today. Because um, each, each felony is about two years. Well. And I I don't know, it's like fifty houses or something stupid. Um, we ended up giving all the stuff back, of course. Um, and uh, yeah, that that was probably the hardest point of my life um, because straight after that, um, I was socially rejected by all of my friends at school and the teachers. And um, I remember got being in music class and uh, had Mr. Adolf, who was our principal, and he walked in and asked for my name and I came out and there's a policeman there. and Yeah, the, the shame was real and um, the fear of, you know, my life's already stuffed up and I haven't even finished high school. And that fear... I've never really been able to shake it. And um, then, um, yeah, so I had I had everybody sort of hate me. Um, I wasn't allowed to go near any of the phones in our house because there was uh, threats um, towards me. And um, I was on uh, kind of like home detention, but for a minor, so it's a little bit different. I was allowed to go out um, for two things. <laughs> I was allowed to go out to go to school and leave the property, and um, I was also allowed to go to church. And at church, um, that was the only place I remember. <laughs> I remember being in the church, and this the pastor had just done this sermon. And he had read in the papers about these four people that had broken into all of these houses and ended up doing his last sermon (laughs) that I remember on how society has brought these young people down to this level. And I had name suppression, so nobody... I didn't know who knew it was me, but some people did and some people didn't. But the pastor definitely didn't know that it was somebody sitting on the front row at church. <laughs> and, um, yeah, essentially getting called out. And I um, left church uh, and my dad grabbed me um, in the hallway. And I was, you know, in tears. 
And he said, Joel, this is going to be the hardest thing you've ever done, but you need to stay in church. And you need to understand that this is the place of acceptance and that the pastor doesn't know that it was you and that even when he does find out, and he will, he's going to receive you with grace and love as Jesus does. And that broke me. And, uh, yeah, so... Oh. Right. I guess it's a good sign of any pastor and matter of fact any father to come to you and actually say those words because if any other person may have done it they could have had complete disappointment in their child but mm. for a family member and for a pastor of a church to know something like that and accept you and give you grace like Jesus would mm. is a good sign of a good Christian mm. knowing that everyone sins that's where we've come from but yeah yeah it's, it's cool that they, he said that to you and that stuck with you yeah and uh, yeah I ended up staying in, in church and um, one thing I was allowed to do and I, I forgot to mention this, but I had been playing the drums <laughs> in the church band, so it wasn't that I was just somebody in the church. I was like a prominent member in the front line, totally fake, in um, walking with God. And I knew God was real, and I'd you know, fallen so far away from you know, feeling that same love that I did uh, when I was younger. And he um, still allowed me to play play the drums. And uh, I get so far from God at that time. But um, yeah, so I stayed in church. I continued to play the drums. The whole band knew that I had been in trouble with the cops and um, had so much grace for me. And... Uh, yeah, I ended up, um, that affected my grades at school. So I didn't pass level one the first time round, and then um, got thrown in, mo- 80% of my classes were level one for the next year. So it's like I had been pushed down a year. That's really humiliating. I also had no friends because of all this, um, and everybody sort of knew it. And a lot of people actually ended up forgetting that I had done this horrible act in like six months. But for me, I was so paranoid that everybody was looking at me like this criminal that I struggled to make friends properly and had this facade just uh, <laughs> of just trying to make people like me um, and to avoid talking about that incident and um yeah um yeah so once i had done that and stayed in stayed in church i still i still resisted the connection to go back to god you know like i was so full of shame to actually get on my knees again with with god and and i liked being behind the drum kit because i was able to pretend that i was this you know 
and it's the best disguise for being somebody who's been convicted. Well, not I wasn't, I wasn't like I don't have a criminal record, but because um, I, I was so young, but um, like people were more resistant to believe if they hadn't heard that story. My idea was I needed like a like a fake look. So if I'm in the church band as a drummer, if somebody did hear this horrible story, they I would be they'd be less likely to believe that it's true. That was my thinking. So I stayed in church and I played the drums and um ended up just putting getting very used to like this fake look. How do I make my life look holy? Yet I didn't feel it. I was empty inside. And um that ended up spiraling out of control when I started becoming, you know, 17, 18, 19. And then after school, I started getting heavily into drinking and um, going to town quite a lot. And um, this is sort of where probably, if you've heard Todd's testimony, where we sort of link up um, <laughs> for a time. However, um, one one of the funniest things about being like knowing that God's real, but kind of ignoring that in my in my heart, <laughs> is that when I was drinking, I would, as I got intoxicated, I ended up preaching about Moses and like all of all of the Bible to my friends and saying how much God loves them. Yeah, I remember. Having a few discussions about you because at, at, at that time I was a non-believer, so yeah, for me it was just inquisitive. And, and I look back now and I'm like, "Wow, God! Like, no matter how much I tried to resist you, you still, even in the the lowest point, like I was still preaching the gospel, not walking with God, but um, in my heart, knowing that God's there with me." And that these people that I'm with also need God, but being the most the biggest hypocrite of a Christian, um, and that's one thing my dad tells me a lot of the time. He says, whenever somebody he invites to church, go, uh, they go, oh no, there's only hypocrites in the church, and my dad says, oh well, there's always room for one more. (laughs) 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 When I look back on my testimony, I'm like, well, that's so true. Yeah. And, um, no, it's good. Um, and yeah, so I was drinking a lot and I ended up going to, um, one of the bars one day and seeing, uh, this, this lovely, lovely girl, uh, called Laura. Um, and she was taking a photo and I ended up diving out in front of her and, um, doing the worst introduction I could probably think of. And somehow managed to convince this girl to go on a date with me. And one of the things that I told her was, come to church and watch me play the drums. That was like my line to impress girls. And man, they never came. But Laura did. Laura came to church and watched me play the drums. And I'm like, oh, she's going to fall so madly in love with me because I'm so awesome on the drums. Look at this rock star up there. And I was right. Laura did get become madly in love, but it wasn't with me. She found Christ. Wow. And 
I was so far from Christ. I felt so far from Christ. And um, I ended up uh, taking on a work shift, which actually allowed me to not work, uh, not drum on Sundays. I had to work on Sundays because I needed more hours. And I had no idea that Laura had continued to go to church. And um, Laura's my future wife, for those that aren't, uh, didn't know. But um, I ended up dropping that session, uh, that work session on a Sunday so I could go back to church because I started feeling like a real need to go to church. And I was still dating Laura. And I was in the car with my brother, Marcus, one day. And he said to me, um, he he didn't say this exactly, but I pieced everything together in my mind. What he was and the the gravity of what he was saying and what it meant, and he said, um, a it was a, like an altar call, um, and he just said like this is the coolest altar call that I've heard before, and um, he shared it with me, and essentially how it goes is, if you're a person who's on the fence. So you're sitting on a fence, and on one side it's green, it's got everything that you want on it, it's got uh, God, it's got you know your beautiful wife, um, and uh, all the good things that are in life. And then on the other side, it's got all of the things of the flesh, such as uh, drinking and um, being a bachelor and things like that. And, um, and it's got the devil on that side as well. And he's saying, come onto this side of the fence. And day by day, you're living your life right in the middle. And uh, one day, as you as you keep thinking and pondering it, one day you're going to look up and God God's going to be gone. And everything on that side of the fence is going to be gone. And you'll turn around and you'll see on the other side of the fence you've got Satan and he's saying, come with me, come with me. And um, you'll end up saying, no, I don't want to go with you. I want to go with God. And Satan will say, well, God's gone. And you say, but I haven't decided yet. I'm on the fence. And Satan will just respond with, I own the fence. And that cut me so deep. And I knew, <laughs> I knew that I needed to get right with God. And it was that we were driving to church as, as my brother had told me that. And that was the Sunday that I just like fell flat on my face at church. I didn't care what anybody thought. I needed to get right with God. And um, God met me where I was at. And um, that is when I decided I'm going to be radically in love and radically for Jesus. I am not going to be of this world. I'm going to just change all my habits. And, you know, I smoked and I drank at that point. And um, it was a definitely a process to break all of those chains. Um, and one of the cool things that uh, had happened with Laura and uh, I ended up proposing to, to Laura and getting married and everything like that. And Laura said, I'm not going to marry a smoker. So... I ended up breaking that chain that and that you know Laura had a lot of grace because I wasn't able to break it in one go and I failed over and over again but um I haven't had a cigarette in years now and um you know like not God some God doesn't break chains 
um, easily sometimes. Sometimes he gets you to work for it because then you got to want it. You know, you got to want to be righteous. you got to want to do it for, like I wanted to do it for Laura, you know. I wanted Laura to love me and everything about me. And that was a huge um, flaw in my life. And Laura also wanted, you know, me to be here when I'm up, when I'm older and not to get lung cancer. And since we're getting married, she's like, I'm not going to have a husband that dies early. So you choose that or don't marry me sort of thing. Um, so I ended up breaking off the smoking, which was good. And she had a lot of grace as I did fail a couple of times, but I managed to break it. And um, the cool thing with Laura is I ended up bringing Laura to church, but Laura sort of brought me back to God. <laughs> so um, Laura's definitely one of the main reasons that I came back to God and one of the main reasons that I wanted to follow God wholeheartedly to be the best husband I could be. Um, and to have everything that was on God's side of the fence, which is just promises. And the thing that the devil promises are all lies, like to to steal, kill, and destroy. And, um, yeah, it was, it was incredible. And now I am all out for God, and um, so is Laura. And then Laura and I ended up doing... Uh, Youth with a Mission, uh, which is the world's largest missions organization currently, and um, we, you know, dedicated a, a six months to just learn the Word of God and learn how to hear God's voice, and um, that changed my perspective on the different denominations. To not fully worry about the different denominations, to know that if if you believe that. Jesus Christ is Lord and God raised him from the dead, that's that's all you need to know. And to love God uh, and to love yourself, um, as you, love others as you love yourself. You know, if you got those two things, the rest, those are the deal breakers. But if you've got that, no denomination matters, whether you're, you know, uh, Pentecostal or whatever, it doesn't matter. Um, but, and I, cause I used to have these friends that would go to these different churches and I would look at them like they're backslided because they went from my church to a different church. And now I look as that, that is a beautiful thing because I'm able to say, you know, what's God doing in your life and what did your pastor share with you today? And actually see the, uh, the body of Christ for what it is not thinking that it just confines to the four walls of my church, that it the church is not, you know, I go to City Impact Church, and the church is not City Impact. The church is the church. Anything that is a church that um, has the fundamentals of Jesus Christ being Lord and Savior and to love others as you love yourself. If you've got those two things, then that's the body of Christ, and each body has different, different things. So... When we went and did YWAM, that was the biggest revelation for me regarding the Western churches. And YWAM was cool because we got to go to Papua New Guinea and Indonesia. And for the first time, I saw demonic manifestations and miracles happen in front of my eyes. 
and I had never, you know, except for my dad, um, but that one happened, like, you know, over time, him healing in hospital and things. This time I saw, like, crazy stuff happen. We, um, one time Laura was preaching um, to a crowd of people, I think they were a high school, and um, they ended up all coming to the front um, to get prayer, and one of the boys who was quite young, he was, like, shaking in front of me as I prayed for him and hissing. It was quite scary. He was like, <sighs> I don't know if that's good in the mic, but, but like, hissing at me. And um, I hadn't, I thought he had, like, a breathing problem, like asthma or something. Um, but most of the time with asthma is it hisses when you breathe in, not, not when you're breathing out as much. Um, my dad's got really bad asthma, so <laughs> I normally know what it sounds like. And um, this kid, I hadn't realized, and he was like shaking and looking down. And then, as soon as I prayed for him, like everything stopped, and he was—it's like he went back to normal. And it wasn't until my uh, missions leader, Anthony Guarini, when he explained that that kid had a demonic manifestation happening in front of me, and. <laughs> I was like, that stuff's real. <laughs> yeah. You know, like, that's just Bible stuff, isn't it? Like in the Old Testament and the New Testament. And he's like, no, nah, no, nah, that stuff happens all the time. Wow. And it's more common in these, like, third world countries than because these people don't have access to doctors and things like that. So when they're praying for healing, it's have faith or die. So for us, we have faith in the doctors, you know, but that only holds as much faith as what the doctor can perform. But over in Papua New Guinea and Indonesia, they have faith in God, and it's what God can perform. And that opened my eyes to, like, a lot of people pray, but their faith is really in the doctor. It's not in actually God. And that was awesome. We saw some really cool healings and things like that. Um, And... Yeah, then we we finished YWAM and we have uh, been on fire ever since, um, both of us together. So if you're ever thinking of doing like a missions organization, I highly recommend doing YWAM and doing it as a couple if you are married or um, whatever. Um, and if you want to be a couple, doing YWAM is a good thing too because so many people get married yeah. <laughs> out of that organization. <laughs> Great place to meet Christian ladies. Not should should not be the reason you do it though. Um, but yeah, so that's yeah that's my testimony yeah. essentially, and here we are today. Um, yeah, that's cool. Um, a couple of questions that came to mind was back when you were at high school, had you actually forgiven yourself for going and taking all that stuff? Mm. And like, is, do you think that would be the reason why you were struggling to? make friends and get back into church is because maybe you hadn't forgiven yourself. Mm. And yeah, like you're saying, love yourself. Mm. Yeah. Um, I think, I think I hadn't, I hadn't talked to God about it. Mm. Like I hadn't, I totally retracted into myself. And um, there was one point um, that was actually just before, yeah, just before all of the, uh, um, theft was uh, I had walked to this old bridge to commit suicide 
and um, my dad stopped me in the middle of the field. I was going to jump with my guitar, and um, my dad had no reason to randomly have the urge to go out into this field that I was walking across towards this bridge, and it's it was just like I didn't didn't feel any love or anything at any point, and that just I think the shame being built up constantly and never never actually getting on my knees and and you know asking for Jesus mm. I think you can try to carry that weight yourself and unless you are talking to the person who can forgive you um then you carry you just keep carrying that weight until it gets too much and yeah I I don't think I had forgiven myself but um it was the weight of the shame, I think, and the paranoia. Yep. Um, yeah. And it was like I had every week at church the op- option to get on my knees, and I knew it every week. Like it was this heart battle every week at church at the old call. It was like, I'll do it next week. And it went years, and I just never... Yeah, just never got to that point until I hit rock bottom. <laughs> yeah. Well, and uh, yeah, you go, that part goes back to what Marcus was saying in the car is that you could keep saying next week, next week, mm. next week I'll give my heart to the Lord, but mm. then one that day, week might come and... One day God's gone. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's, that's a cool thought. Um, the other thought, other question I had for you was how has being married... Mm. helped you with your faith hugely um and also laura has been like that pillar of strength throughout our entire uh marriage um and laura's had this huge hunger to want to know god and um she she says herself um she never had this like massive moment when she felt God's presence or anything like that but um, there's been these moments and I think it's um, depending on who you are and how God will get your attention so um, yeah with with Laura it's you know she her and I together being married now have like an accountability partner so whenever we're going to you know let's say just last year we did a this discipleship Bible school even evening edition at YWAM. And um, you read through the entire Bible in three months. And Laura kept me accountable. Um, I still slipped up. There's a couple of days that I missed. But, you know, if I had been trying to do that by myself, <laughs> I would have done just as good as I did in school. <laughs> yep. I would have failed. Right. Yeah, I guess it's easy to be distracted when you've got so many things going on in the world. You could easily sit down and watch Netflix or yeah, play PlayStation. But yeah, um, having that person to hold you accountable is definitely, um, definitely good. Yeah, mm. and in and everything like, and the way that I eat, but especially for God, like the decision we're going to church. No matter how bad your week's been, it's like we're going to church. 
we made that decision once and it's just what we do on Sundays, you know, like we go to church. And um, after, well, it happened a little bit before all of this as well, like right as I got saved, but also um, as an adult, because I, I play the drums at the church, and um, sometimes it's really cool. Um, I'd actually get like tapped into the spirit of playing the drums, and my whole mind is completely fixated on the Holy Spirit and God. And I am playing these things that are well beyond my skill level. Mm. And it's only happened a handful of times, but it's this crazy thing that happens. Um, It always happens when I pray, but man, I forget to pray before I play a lot. (laughs) Like, And for me to pray, like, you can pray on, like, autopilot as a religious thing. Or you can pray with your heart and actually mean it. And they're vastly different. And every time I pray with my heart and and I'm actually, you know, intentional with every word that I say, then I know that I'm talking to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. That's when things change. And you tap into the Spirit and it's just phenomenal. Like some, some of those Sunday evenings and Sunday mornings are... Uh, yeah, God really shows up. Yeah, and those are amazing. That's cool. Yeah, bringing the presence of God into into the house. Um, yeah, I get not praying words for the sake of ticking it off a list, um, mm. and actually, yeah, saying something meaningful as if you're saying it to, um, like somebody in front of you. Yeah, someone in front of you. You don't want to yeah. be just speaking those words for the sake of making conversation, you actually want to make a connection with that person. Yeah. Like the Holy Spirit can be the most ignored person in the church Yeah, sometimes because, like, imagine I'm talking to you, Todd, but I'm, like, I've am got my back to you. Like, I'm not really talking to you, you know? Yeah. Like, you know he's there. I know Todd's in the room, but I'm not talking to him. I'm talking to him, but not facing him, not giving him my attention, and just saying stuff, and not even taking note of his listening. So it's like the Holy Spirit, you know, like when you're talking, you know, actually make sure that you are intentional with every word that you say, um, that there is somebody listening. The Holy Spirit is listening, and he uh, is someone that, you know, listens, and, and he can read your heart as well. Mm. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> yeah, no, that's a, that's a cool thought to have, um and it definitely sums up your testimony as well by, uh, I mean, you want to go and now speak to the Holy Spirit after you've done these things rather than leave God out of the situation because mm. bringing God into the situation helps more than leaving yeah. him out. and He'll definitely be there Yeah. Um, and to light your path in those dark times. Mm. Yeah, just thank you for sharing that, Joel. It was, yeah, uh, it was, it's good. I think one of the biggest things for all of the listeners to to note and to challenge, to champion you all listening is even when you're saved, you can you can stuff up. And to know that that grace of God is huge, you know, and it's it's always there. So, and to not underestimate the power of a true believer in your life, to, to share your stuff-ups with them, and they will receive you in love. 
you know, and if they don't, they're not a true believer. But if you do have a true believer in your life, then really, really, uh, like, don't unload all your problems, but just say, like, I really need a friend right now. And it doesn't matter how far you've fallen. Like, I was this, you know, that everybody in church knew who I was because I was the drummer. And I uh, put on this pedestal and I thought I had to always make meet this mark of uh, righteousness. But to know, like, no matter who you are or where you sit in the church, not that there's a hierarchy system at all, but people do look up to you. But to know that, like, if somebody in your church is struggling with something or has stuffed up somewhere, um, like that pastor at Hillsong, recently he has been fired for um, having an affair. But to have grace for him, you know, he's still only human. And um, to know that, you know, it is a process even for the elite to to constantly have grace for them as Jesus would and to live like that because that... If people didn't have grace for me, I would, I would be in prison. I would be an alcoholic. I would be a sex addict. <laughs> you know, like yeah, well. all of these things, uh, you fall down that rabbit hole. But it's because of grace and the grace, like Christ in people, that I've been able to rely on, has been able to um, keep me out of those worldly addictions. And, yeah, it's just incredible. Yeah, that's great. Thanks, Joel. Um, on that note, we'll wrap up. Uh, we'll just thank you guys for coming in here and joining us for another podcast. It's been good to have uh, Joel here discussing his testimony. Um, we just pray that God encourages you through this testimony, and we know that God's Word doesn't come back void. So, yeah, we'll just catch you on the next podcast. See you later.